0: We um, began last week a series on some things that, that have to do with being lost. And last week we talked about a book that can be lost, and, and that's the Bible. At one time, the Word of God was actually lost. They, they didn't know where it was. There had been a number of years when they didn't consult it. And then when they finally found it, they found it in, of all places, the house of the Lord. The Word of God has been lost in many churches today. And it needs to be refound and rediscovered. And we talked about that last week. Tonight I want us to talk about the what uh, the, the thing that is lost that we want to talk about today is the the church. The church of Jesus Christ can be lost. To lose something you know, some things you, you, you don't mind if you lose. There are other things that are really they break your heart when you lose them. Do you remember what it was like when you got to be about uh, a freshman or sophomore in high school and you got your class ring? That was a big thing. I don 't know if class rings are as big now as they used to be, but when I was in high school, you couldn't wait to get to that age where you could get your class ring. and so I got this really neat class ring. It had this basketball player on it, and, and it was it, it was nice and it was expensive. And I was coming from basketball practice one night. And in the wintertime, it was just a little bit loose, and I got home, and I realized my ring's gone. It had slipped off my hand, and I had no idea where it was. Ah, I looked and looked and looked for that ring. I retraced my steps, and I never could find that ring. It was a year later. That I was walking from basketball practice one evening it was dark and the lights were on, the street lights were on outside the school, and I just caught a a, a flicker in my eye. And I looked down and I dug in the dirt and there was my class ring. I, I found it. After a year, it had just been buried and just a little bit of it caught a little bit of light and, and I was able to find that. You talk about a happy guy when I found that found that ring. We have something just like that in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 15, where Jesus gives three parables of things that were lost. There was a lost sheep, there was a lost coin, and there was a lost son. All three of them were lost, but when they were eventually found, there was great rejoicing because that which was lost has been found. And folks, if a church can be lost, and that's what we want to talk about tonight, think of the rejoicing in heaven when that church can once again be found. And I want us to make sure that we don't lose our way as a church. I want to make sure that we... You see, just because there is a rich history here at Carnes, and there have been people who have gone before us who stood for the truth and, and have worked to establish this congregation and the reputation that it has in the brotherhood. All of those things are wonderful, but just because those things are true doesn't mean that this church will be here 10 years from now or 30 years from now or 50 years from now. There was a church that Paul had a, a close tie to, the church at Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, when Paul was about to see, well, at least the elders for the very last time, as he was making his way back to Jerusalem, he called for a meeting of the elders at Ephesus, and they met together, and he warned them that there would be a departure, even among their, their own selves, and that they would not spare the flock, some among them. And he said, you know, beware of this. God has made you overseers, so feed the church of God and and don't make it pray." Well, they fell on each other's necks. They loved each other. They missed each other. Less than 30 years later, John is given this revelation by Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, chapter 2. And the church at Ephesus is once again mentioned. And in less than 30 years, things have changed. It's not the church that Paul had worked with. It is a church that has grown cold in their love for God. It's not that they've stopped doing some of the things that they should have done, but they just were not the church that they once were. The church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 was a church that had a reputation of being alive. He said, you, the people in the community, they look at you, they say, wow, what a church. A living, vibrant church. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're dead. Oh, that's your reputation, but I know your true character and you're a dead congregation Revelation chapter 2 and verse 16 talks about the church of Pergamos. And they too were told that if you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick. And then again, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, the church at Ephesus is told, I have some things against you. You've lost your first love. And if you don't repent and redo those first works again... I'll remove your candlestick. Churches that have existed for years and years, given a little bit of time, can cease to be. It happens all the time. When I was in college, I worked uh, one summer as a summer intern, uh, trying to learn to to preach a little bit better. And I I studied with uh, Stephen Rogers. Maybe some of you know Stephen. Uh, It's Josh's father-in-law. But uh, we, we worked together one summer in a congregation in Michigan, and shortly after that, maybe less than 10 years after I was there, that congregation ceased to exist. They had a couple divisions over a couple doctrinal matters, and then they eventually got so small that they thought it impractical to try to maintain a building of that size, and so they just sold the building to a religious group, and they just, went and dispersed and became parts of other congregations in that area. That's a sad thing. Churches that once existed. And if I were to say, now, that that church that Paul wrote about and loved and labored with for three years, that church at Ephesus, where is that congregation today? In fact, where are all those churches that we read about in the Bible? Where's the church at Jerusalem? Where is... You see, I'm afraid that these things have come and gone... They've lost their way. Will there be a church in the Carnes community a hundred years ago that's standing for the truth? Or a hundred years from now, standing for the truth? Will there be a church, after we're dead and gone, that will continue to be a sound, faithful congregation sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ to people in this community? There's no guarantees Not because of what we've done in the past. It takes vigilance. We can become lost. And these churches in the Bible show us that that certainly can happen. I read of a denominational preacher. He wrote a handbook on church membership. And he made this statement. He said, there are hundreds of denominations in the world today teaching almost every conceivable kind of doctrine. They cannot all be right, for they don't all teach the same thing. Indeed, many of their teachings are in direct conflict. One church proclaiming a doctrine that another church denies. Can both be right? If not, then one is right and its teaching must admittedly be better than the one that's wrong. You see, he makes a point that a lot of people are unwilling to make. You've heard people say one church is as good as another. doesn't matter. This man, who's not even a member of the body of Christ, says, oh, it does matter. You see, I would rather be a part of a church that stands for the truth. That's better than a church that doesn't stand for the truth. Would you not agree? And that's the point that he's making. A church that teaches the truth is better than a church that teaches error. A church, a church that teaches all of God's word would be better than a church that just teaches part of God's word. Let's not lose our way. Let's search for that which is right. Well, how can a church be lost? That's what I want us to get to. What can we do that would cause this congregation to lose its way somewhere and as a consequence souls will be lost in this community? Well, one of those things that can cause a church to be lost is indifference. You don't have to fight and oppose and and raise a hand against the church to to hurt the church. Doing nothing, just being indifferent, is one of the greatest obstacles the church faces today. I've heard the story about a preacher who was preaching, he was... Preaching, he said the two greatest problems in the church is, is indifference and ignorance. People just, that, that's the two, and he spent the whole lesson trying to teach that point. Indifference and ignorance. And one of the, finally he saw, people aren't even listening to me. There's a guy sitting there and he has his hand on his arm like that, just not paying attention. So he said, what, what, what do you think about that? And that man just said, I don't know and I don't care. You know, Indifference and ignorance. That's, that's the very thing that we're talking about. One doesn't have to oppose the church to kill it. Neglect, indifference, not being about who we are will destroy the church. Jesus, when he got ready to go back to heaven just before his ascension, he gives the Great Commission. That's what we've called it. The Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. That's the Great Commission. It's not just said in Matthew, but it's also said in Mark. Mark 16, and verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Luke took it up in Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and 47. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Oftentimes I've heard people say, well, you know, John's the only one that doesn't talk about the Great Commission. Matthew, Mark, and Luke did, but John didn't. Well, John did. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus told his disciples, As the Father has sent me, so I also send you. What was he sending them to do? Go preach the gospel. Every one of the writers of the gospel accounts gave us a commission to go teach the lost. If we forget about that through indifference... Then we can lose this church. As was mentioned this morning in Bible class, some of the things that we were talking about with reference to church growth—you uh, you can't bring people in for entertainment because what will bring them next week? What, what happens when that gets old? Well, what do we do if entertainment? You know, and besides, I can't. The church will never play better than the world. The world's got us beat at that. We can never play as well as the the world can play. So what we need to do is be about what we're about. And that's the gospel. We, We should be pretty good at that. But we've sought excuses for not evangelizing too. How many of us have said, or have you ever said, well, evangelism just isn't my talents? Folks, evangelism isn't a talent. It's a command. That's like saying... Oh, I don't take the Lord's Supper. That's just not one of my talents. That's not a talent. That's something you're told to do. Well, I've quit praying years ago. I just decided that's not one of my talents. I'm not good at words, so I I don't pray anymore. We're not. not, That doesn't fall in the realm of talents. That is something that we're commanded to do. Evangelism is not a talent that you have or don't have. It's a command that God has given us. Let's be about that command. We cannot afford to be indifferent when it comes to sharing the gospel of Christ with people. We have to make the message known. Now, it's up to them what they do with it. But I don't want people to face God in judgment and say, you know, I lived in Carnes and no one ever told me. I don't want one of the scariest songs that we sing. I think it's in this songbook. It's not in some others, and I think they took it out because maybe maybe the, the guilt got them. I don't know. But you never mentioned him to me. That that's a that's a fearful song. How can we allow people to go to God undone in their sins? And I live day by day with them. And I never mentioned him to those people. I don't want that to happen. I know from the book of Ezekiel that there is a responsibility of a watchman. And those who die because of the watchman's negligence, their blood is on his head. Paul uses that imagery in Acts chapter 20 to say that he was free from the blood of all men because he didn't shun to declare the whole gospel. Or the whole Council of God. So a church can be lost because of indifference. Let's not lose sight of what we're about. We're here to save souls and it's the gospel of Christ that does that and they need to hear the gospel. Also another thing that can destroy a church is false teaching. First Timothy chapter 4 verses 13. I've heard people say you, you talk the Church of Christ talks too much about doctrine. Doctrine just simply means teaching to begin with. But what they think, or what they mean by that, I think, is that you talk too, mi- too much about um, points of disagreement with other folks. Did you know Paul told Timothy to take heed unto himself and to his doctrine? Because in so doing, he can not only save others, but he can save himself. Paul puts a connection to our salvation and to the doctrine of Christ. There are those who would minimize the importance of doctrine, but I'm reminded constantly when I hear that, I, I can't help but hear Jesus in Matthew 15 say of the Pharisees, they have taken the commandments of men and they treat them as though they're the doctrine of God. And he, because of that, he says, in vain do they worship me. There are, who would have thought that among us there would come a time when people, preachers, would say, you don't have to be baptized to become a child of God. I heard a church, I, maybe it was referenced by, um, well, some, one of the other men from the school, I think, just the other day, but I, I heard a sermon preached in, in Tennessee where a man got up and said, we, we want you to know what we stand for and where we are and one of the things is that we are inclusive. And if you've never been baptized for in immersion, we'll still accept you as a member of the church here. And he said, and if you think that I'm mistaken about that, I want to tell you that I'm not. And he had one of the elders in the congregation stand up, and he said, am I representing our position correctly? And he said, yes, you are. And he said, how, do I, how can I know that I'm rep-? He said, because I was sprinkled as a baby, and that elder in the church, that's all he had ever experienced. If it's true that one must be immersed in water to receive the forgiveness of sins, if that's true, then people need to do it in order to receive the remission of sins. Acts 2.38 says that we are to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Folks, if we don't do that, We're not helping people. We're not convincing or helping people by telling them they're okay when they haven't done what the Lord says. We need to love them. We need to understand their background, but but we need to stand for the truth and do so kindly on not only that issue, but a host of others. I believe that we can come to a knowledge of the truth. John 8, verse 32 says that we can, but we need to be patient, love people, and kindly teach them, but We can never compromise. And when we compromise, that's one way we lose our way. And then look at this third way, and then the lesson will be yours. But we can lose a church through worldliness. Are you not shaken by what you see in our society today? Is it not a different world than the one in which you're... Parents and grandparents grew up in. How have we... How have we got... It's like you're on this downgrade. It's like you're on this hill and you don't have any breaks. And we are picking up momentum as we are on this downgrade. And folks, we've got to dig our heels in and say enough. Somebody has to have the courage to say no. As for me and my house will serve the Lord. I can't control what other people do, but I can control my own life. There's this passage in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 that I think should grab our attention because it begins like this. This is the will of God. Now, listen, I, when, when the Bible says this is the will of God, you better sit up, take note, and listen. And you know what he said is the will of God? Your sanctification, your holiness. And he tells you to avoid fornication, you, you're to live a pure life. God wants us not to be worldly people, but to be holy people. God doesn't want us to be necessarily happy, he wants us to be holy. That's his desire for our life. And it's the desire of every parent, not that their kid. The problem with a lot of parents is they're trying their best to make their children happy when God calls them, make your children holy. That's what you need to teach your children, holiness. I heard a man preach not too long ago, and he said something along this line, and this is pretty close to exactly what he said. He said, I remember when I was younger and I had preachers tell me what I could and couldn't do, And he said, you know, when I heard somebody say, I can't do something, I just wanted to go out and do it. And so he said, we need to quit teaching and preaching to our young people saying, don't do this and don't do that. Because when we do that, all that is going to make them do is go out and do those things. He said, well, we need to start preaching to our young people and what they need is to preach to them and teach them that God is gracious And forgiving God. That's what they need to hear. I think that's pretty bankrupt. I believe we need to teach our young people that God is a gracious and loving and forgiving God. Absolutely. But to the exclusion of saying, no, don't, I think that's mistaken. Seems to me like several of those Ten Commandments began with thou shalt not. Did, Did they not... I think that our young people need to know... Listen, I know that forgiveness is good. But you know what's better than the grace, the forgiveness of God? Holiness. Purity. Not needing to say, I'm sorry, I blew it, I made a mistake. That's better than failing and having to seek God's forgiveness. We need to, to buckle down and quit being so worldly. Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, well, he tells us to worship God properly and to serve Him properly. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Folks, we can't live like the world. If a person looks at your life, can they see a difference in the way you dress, or the way you talk, the way you conduct yourself? Can they see a difference between you and the person living next to you that's a good moral person, but they're just in the world? God calls us to be different. And when the church fills up with worldliness, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If we want to keep this church for generations to come, we need to do the right thing. This church can be lost. The time can come when there will no longer be a Carnes Church of Christ. To guard against that, we need to guard against indifference, be about our mission We need to guard against false teaching. Let's stand for the truth. Let's not compromise what the Bible says. If our life, if our, if we find ourselves in conflict with the Word of God, change your life, not the Bible. And finally, we need to combat worldliness. There was a book written. I'll close with this. But there's a book written not too long ago by a man who's not a member of the church. I picked it up because of the title of it. It was interesting. And he was discussing various attempts to restore New Testament Christianity by various groups. And, and he said that most of the denominational world of which he is a member of, he said, we've got so many things wrong. The, thing, the, the things that the early Christians believed are exactly opposite of what Protestantism is teaching today. And then he mentioned churches of Christ. He said, you know what? These people, among some others, have a mind to go back to the Bible and to practice Bible teaching. But then he added a sentence at the end that I don't know that I can argue with in some degree. He said, but their shortcoming is that while they have a great focus on restoring doctrine, they've not had the same passion at restoring holiness and purity in their lifestyle. I would like to say he's way off base, but I know brothers and sisters, too many of them, that demonstrate that what he said is true. Let's be people who are not worldly. Let us make ourselves spiritual people. And how can we prevent the church, well, realize what's at stake... Matthew chapter sixteen tells us that the soul is at stake. We don't want to lose souls. We want to love God more than life itself. That's how we can do it. The psalmist said, "Your love is better than life." Boy, if we could just learn to to appreciate that, and then Paul said, or Jesus said in Revelation chapter twelve verse eleven, how that uh, if you want to overcome the devil, you have to love the testimony of Jesus Christ. You have to hold to it and love it even to the loss of your own life. And then finally, we we have to defend and follow the truth. Some things are worth fighting for, and the truth of God's Word is one of those things. Whether the church in our locality is lost or not, listen, that depends on us. I want for 150, 200 years, I want until the Lord comes again for there to be a church in this community but I know that it can, with, without vigilance, it may cease to exist. It's a terrible thing to lose some things in life. We know the value of certain objects. How much worse is it to lose a church of God's people? Let's work so that that doesn't happen. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, and you want to obey the gospel, and you want to be a part of this church that is seeking to fulfill the mission of Christ to be His hands and His His mouthpiece and, and to take allow your feet to be His feet, if you want that to be your everyday mission then obey the gospel turn from your sin, confess Jesus Christ as um, the Son of God and, and be baptized. We'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and there are things that you need to, to buckle down in in your life and just You know, tighten up and and get more serious about your commitment to Christ. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.